Well, we're back in Philippians again, and uh, I'm not sure how long we'll be here. It all depends on when uh, I feel that it's time to move on. But we are looking at a, a new topic today, just a little bit different. Are you standing firm in your circumstances? And uh, I hope and pray right now that God would just speak to your heart. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. We'll pray for this message that uh, I won't get in the way and that God's word will be delivered. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time, God. And Father, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for the life of the Apostle Paul and and how you used him, Lord, through his conversion and through his suffering. Lord, help us to learn. And Father, we just pray that you'd guide us now and just speak to our hearts, open up our minds, and help us to learn, God, what you are trying to teach us this morning. Father, in your precious name, we pray. Amen. So I'd ask you this morning, have you ever gotten caught up in a circumstance in your life, some real trial or some real tribulation that just seemed to consume your life? Something that happened maybe years ago, something that maybe happened yesterday, but it just, it's something that just tears at your heart. And the more you try to forget about it, the more you try to say, I'm not going to think about that today, the more it comes back and you get to the point where you're dwelling on that thought all the time and you're getting caught up in this discouragement of remembering your circumstances. Well, my prayer for us today is that we're going to learn from Paul of how we can handle this type of an issue, and, and we all face it, every single one of us. It's, it's so easy for you and I to hide behind the masks that we put on our faces. We hide behind smiles, and some of us have gotten pretty good at it. You always say, how are you doing today? Oh, fine. We're always fine. This reminds me of a van that Julie and I once owned, and I, I remember it had this beautiful paint job. It was a conversion van, and I thought, this is going to be nice. Shouldn't have to do a thing to it. Well, it wasn't long, and these, there was these tiny little rust spots that started to show up in the paint. And it seemed like the more I washed it, the more I waxed it, the more I rubbed it, the more the rust spots would show up. You see, evidently, the one who had owned the van before us had painted over the rust, just to try to cover up what was really going on. And that's somewhat like we can be with our lives and with our circumstances. We, we can hide our hurts pretty well behind painted smiles, thinking no one will notice. But like our old van, the rust begins to show through. And the pain can only be hid for so long before it becomes evident. But in Paul's life, I really believe that we can learn something and take something from Philippians that will help us strip off the paint, that will get rid of the rust of discouragement and understand the true way that God wants us to handle our circumstances. Honestly, openly, in humbleness, in complete submission to God, where we can find that true joy that says is, brings us our strength. And that can only come from the Lord. Paul has so much to say to us about how to handle our circumstances. In chapter 1 of Philippians, cha- uh, Philippians 1.12 says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, that's Paul's circumstance that he's talking about, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And we're going to talk about what happened to Paul. And I think you'll be amazed 
and how Paul can have that joy and that peace and that confidence as he begins to talk in this amazing letter to the Philippians. So I'd like to review just a little bit, little bit of what Paul went through. We heard from Acts chapter 16 that Paul was um, doing, going about his job. Him and Silas were doing a wonderful job of ministry until they healed this young woman that was just constantly saying, you know, you guys are from the Lord. You are, you are giving the message of how to find eternal life. And finally, they got so tired of listening to her, they delivered her from the, the spirit that was causing her to do this. And her owners got angry and uh, had Paul and Silas flogged, had him beaten and sent to prison. So Paul, to begin with, that, that was kind of the beginning of his circumstances, we could call it. So Paul spends two years in prison in Caesarea. Another, a few more of his circumstances was Paul was put on a ship. He was put in chains and brought to Rome to stand trial before Nero. And if, if you know much about Nero, that he's not one you'd want to stand trial before. Paul got shipwrecked. He was stranded on an island. He was bitten by a poisonous snake. He spends two years in a Roman prison, chained to a guard 24 hours a day with a new guard every four hours, waiting for execution. That was Paul's destiny, you could almost say, from his life of being a servant of our Lord. And when we think about these guards, these are not your average guards that Paul was chained to. As Betty had read earlier, these guards were praetorian guards. They were the best of the best. They were the elite guards, and they were the highest paid guards in the kingdom. Praetorian guards would normally serve 12 years and then be promoted to the highest positions in the kingdom. And now Paul talks with, with excitement that his circumstances were great and used to further the progress of the gospel. Well, I can guarantee that these praetorian guards were not always that nice to Paul. But yet you'd almost think that Paul looked at each one of these guys with another opportunity to witness to another lost soul. So let's think about that. Paul was in prison in Rome for two years, chained to a prison guard who was going to be promoted to the top of the kingdom. Paul had this opportunity for a new guard every four hours. And if you do the math on that, Paul actually had the opportunity to witness to 4,380 guards at Nero's expense. Isn't that amazing? Nero fed Paul. He kept Paul in prison, gave him a new mission field every four hours, and Paul didn't waste it. Paul had a missionary journey right there in prison. And as we read on in Scripture, we find out there's a lot that goes on with these guards and their families. And my point is this. When you look at Paul's circumstances, when you look at your own circumstances, how do you handle what God has, has for you in your life? How do you handle the trials and the tribulations that you face? How do you handle discouragement? Depression, to me, is like a spiritual cancer. And discouragement, to me, are the early signs of that disease. So I'd like to explain this the best I can, describing discouragement as a disease because it spiritually can ruin your life. First of all, discouragement is a universal disease. Every one of us suffer from it. 
If you don't say that you do, then you're living in denial. Secondly, discouragement is a repeating disease. Or in other words, we catch it over and over and over again. And thirdly, discouragement is also contagious. And it actually can be deadly if it's not treated. It has been known to ruin your health, ruin your friendship, your marriage, your career. And yes, it can even ruin our churches. We must defeat it or it will destroy us. It is serious. In Philippians 1, 12 through 26, we kind of hear Paul's personal testimony. And in verses 27 through 30, we get a challenge from Paul. And in these passages, Paul gives us three questions. That when discouragement strikes, you need to ask yourself these three things. And I'm going to give you the first one now, and then I'm going to talk about it a little bit. The first one is, are you living with God's perspective Or are you seeing things through your discouragement? In other words, how are you viewing your circumstances? Is your view clouded with frustration and discouragement? As we read, Paul's view of his circumstances was definitely stronger than the pain of his circumstances. Paul's view of his circumstances was much stronger than the pain of his circumstances. And how you view your circumstances this morning matters a whole lot more than what you're going through right now. It really is a matter of perspective. So I'd like to give you a little parable because I'd like to add a story in that hopefully that you can relate a little bit to it. There once was this college girl who had not written or talked to her parents for quite some time. Well, one day her parents received a letter from their daughter and in excitement they opened the letter and the letter went something like this. Hi, Mom and Dad. I know it's been quite some time since you heard from me, but about six six months ago, you see my apartment building burnt down and I lost everything but some clothes and a few of my books. Anyway, at this fire, there was this young fireman and we seemed to hit it off pretty good. So since I was without a place to stay, Mom and Dad, he was so kind and he invited me to move in with him. And so I did. Well, after a couple months, what I didn't realize was that this fireman was married and he had a family. And now, Mom and Dad, I'm pregnant. But please don't be upset with me because I really do love him. And he said that he loves me and he would leave his family for me. So please don't worry, I will be fine. And on the bottom of the letter it said, P.S., please turn over the letter. And on the back of the letter it said, Mom and Dad, none of what I just told you was true. The truth is I'm flunking English and I need $200 as soon as possible. Please put this in perspective. Love, Amy. Some of us need exactly that, a new perspective on our life. We need God's perspective. So let's think about Paul again. What Paul went through, all the trials that he faced, yet he perceived it 
as it says according to Scripture, that his circumstances were great for the advancement of the gospel. You see, it didn't matter that he was arrested. It didn't matter that he was flogged, bitten by a snake, deserted on an island, shipwrecked, chained to a guard, waiting execution. Paul says his circumstances were great. That's amazing. From Paul's example in this amazing letter to the Philippians, we can see that when you stay joyful and view things from God's perspective, it changes your view of your circumstances. When you stay joyful and view things from God's perspective, three things happen. First of all, Paul says the gospel is advanced. The Bible tells us that not only prison guards were saved, but it also tells us that Nero's wife was saved, his children were saved, and his mother was saved. They all became Christians. Next, we are to encourage other believers. And remember this, courage is contagious. But also remember that so is discouragement. And third, when we... We learn from what is important ourselves. We learn it ourselves. We don't get caught up in the trap of hiding behind our painted masks, our smiles. But instead, we learn to stay joyful and view things from God's perspective. Okay, getting back to the first three questions. I hope I'm not throwing you off. The first one that we had was, are you living with God's perspective? When discouragement strikes... Are you living with God's perspective? And secondly is, are you living with God's power? See, Paul reveals the importance of church and a fellowship of believers. He tells them to conduct themselves in a worthy manner of the gospel of Christ. Then he talks of a standing firm in one spirit, contending as one man of the faith of the gospel. We should be so united that we should be as one person. Paul is speaking of the importance of church here and of being with fellowship of, of the, with fellow believers to gain strength from one another. In the unity of the gospel, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he also talks about the importance of praying for one another, lifting each other up. We are created by God to live in relationship with one another. The Bible is full of that. When people say they don't need church, they're going against what the Bible clearly teaches. I believe that with all my heart. I remember visiting a guy years ago and talking to him about coming to church. And he told me that he didn't come because he would just be a hypocrite. He would only come to church to act one way on Sunday, only to live a life much different than that during the week. He felt that he needed to clean up his act, and he promised me that he would. And then he would come to church. But as far as I know, he never did, not as long as I knew him. And as I thought about him this week as I was preparing a message, I thought, is this how we come across to people? Do we give them the feeling that they need to clean up before they come here to to worship with us on Sunday? I sure hope and pray not. That would be just as crazy as washing and waxing your car at home. So it would look good for the car wash.
Now back to the three questions we need to ask ourselves when discouragement strikes. The first one is, are you living with God's perspective? I'm repeating these for a purpose. Secondly, are you living with God's power? And third one is, have I stopped living for Christ's purpose in my life? Do you remember Paul's words in Philippians 1.21? This should be, be what we call our purpose statement. And I believe it's for every single one of us. If you're totally honest with yourself, how would you fill in the blanks of your purpose statement? For me to live is what? And to die is what? Would it be for me to live as power? And to die as fame? Or for me to live as money? But for me to die is to take it with me? Or would it be for me to live is to make everyone else around me happy? I want to please everybody. And to die is that they will remember me for the good that I did. Let me say that the first part of this statement, for me to live, should be your living purpose statement. And the second half, and to die, should be your ultimate purpose. That should be your goal. That should be your finish line. This is a perspective that Paul had, and this is a perspective that we need to have. That for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. As human beings, we tend to think pretty short-term, and we tend to waver between standing firm and standing on shaky ground, playing a little bit with our past, playing a little bit with temptation. We tend to teeter on the side of weakness instead of meekness, of which we learned earlier is, is really strength under control. And it's really important that we get that perspective and to remember that 100,000 years from now, what you do with your life, what's going to matter? What can you do today that will matter 100,000 years from now? Or 500,000? Because you see, time doesn't matter to God. We get caught up in time and thinking that we have all the time in the world to make a difference. But I'm telling you this morning that we need to get serious, myself included. For we are eternal beings, and God has a plan for each and every one of us. And I get excited about what, what it's going to be like 100,000 years from now. Where will we all be? What will we all be doing? Because we are eternal beings, and we will be somewhere. So let me leave you with these thoughts from Paul. The first is we need to stand firm. In other words, don't give up. Or in the words of Jesse Strag, get some guts. Grow a backbone. Secondly, we need to stick together. Don't go it alone. We need to be in church. We need to be together. We need to be in fellowship. We need to get involved. And we need to stop making excuses because I am full of them. 
and I know you are too. It's so easy to make excuses. And thirdly, we need to stay confident that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion. That's a promise from our God, our Father. And finally, let me leave you with one more thought. What the world needs to see in us is not a wimpy, divided, bickering Christian who loses confidence when times get tough. The world needs to see strong Christians who stand firm and stick together and are confident in who their Lord is and where they're going today and tomorrow and the next day. We are the Lord's army. So we need to start living like it. And as far as discouragement is concerned, don't let it consume you. For discouragement turns to depression. And depression can consume you. So we need to resist it and we need to cast it off immediately. In our counseling classes, we talk about triggers, the things that pull us down. And we need to notice those triggers. And we need to know how to cast them off. How can you stay discouraged when your helper is omnipotent? How can you? If you truly had the perspective that we are to have, how can we stay discouraged when our helper is omnipotent? And like the old saying, when, the, when battling discouragement, it's an old saying, but I still love it. When Satan reminds you of your past, Remind him of his future. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are an awesome God. And we come before you this morning, Lord, with this challenge that you place before us. And I pray, God, that we would take this seriously. I pray that I would take this seriously. In my discouragement, in the, in the trials I face, God, I firmly believe that we all face them. Maybe they're different kinds, different types. But we all face them in this world. And Lord, we, I just pray that you would just give us strength, that we would stand firm, and that we would stick together, and that we would stay confident that you who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And we praise you for that, Lord. In your precious name we pray. And we thank you. Amen. If I could have the praise team come up and help sing this last song, I'm losing my voice. If you'd open your hymnals to hymn number 249, I'd like us to join together and sing.